Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And today, chapters 28 and 29, from Kidnapped, by Robert Louis Stevenson. And now, chapter 28, I Go in Quest of My Inheritance. I made what change I could in my appearance, and blithe was I to look in the glass and find the bigger man a thing of the past, and David Balfour came to life again. And yet, I was ashamed of the change, too, and above all, of the borrowed clothes. When I had done, Mr. Rankiller caught me on the stair, made me his compliments, and had me again into the cabinet. "'Sit ye down, Mr. David,' said he, "'and now that you're looking a little more like yourself, let me see if I can find you any news. You will be wondering, no doubt, about your father and your uncle. To be sure, it is a singular tale, and the explanation is one that I blush to have to offer you. For,' says he, "'really with embarrassment. "'The matter hinges on a love affair.' "'Truly,' said I, "'I cannot very well join that notion with my uncle.' "'But your uncle, Mr. David, "'was not always old,' replied the lawyer, "'and what may perhaps surprise you more, "'not always ugly. "'He had a fine, gallant air. "'People stood in their doors to look after him "'as he went by upon a metal horse. "'I've seen it with these eyes, "'and I ingenuously confess.' "'not altogether without envy, "'for I was a plain lad myself, "'and a plain man's son, "'and in those days it was a case of Odite, "'Cibellus S. Sabel.' "'It sounds like a dream,' said I. "'Aye,' said the lawyer, "'that is how it is with youth and age. "'Nor was that all, "'but he had a spirit of his own "'that seemed to promise great things in the future. "'In 1715, "'what must he do but run away to join the rebels?' It was your father that pursued him, found him in a ditch, and brought him back multum gementum, to the mirth of the whole country. However, Major Acanimus, the two lads fell in love, and that with the same lady. Mr. Ebenezer, who was the admired and the beloved, and the spoiled one, made, no doubt, mighty certain of the victory, and when he found he had deceived himself, screamed like a peacock. The whole country heard of it. Now he lay sick at home, with his silly family standing round the bed in tears. Now he rode from public house to public house, and shouted his sorrows into the lug of Tom, Dick, and Harry. Your father, Mr. David, was a kind gentleman, but he was weak, dolefully weak, took all this folly with a long countenance, and one day, by your leave, resigned the lady. She was no such fool, however. It's from her you must inherit your excellent good sense." "'and she refused to be bandied from one to the other. "'Both got upon their knees to her, "'and the upshot of the matter for that while "'was that she showed both of them the door. "'That was in August. "'Dear me! "'The same year I came from college. "'The scene must have been highly farcical. "'I thought myself it was a silly business, "'but I could not forget my father had a hand in it. "'Surely, sir, it had some note of tragedy,' said I. "'Why, no, sir, not at all.' "'returned the lawyer, "'for tragedy implies some ponderable matter in dispute, "'some dignus vindus notice, "'and this piece of work was all about the petulance "'of a young ass that had been spoiled, "'and wanted nothing so much as to be tied up and soundly belted. "'However, that was not your father's view, "'and the end of it was, "'that from concession to concession on your father's part, "'and from one height to another, "'of squalling, sentimental selfishness upon your uncles, "'they came at last to drive a sort of bargain.' "'from whose ill results you have recently been smarting. "'The one man took the lady, 
the other the estate. Now, Mr. David, they talk a great deal of charity and generosity, but in this disputable state of life, I often think the happiest consequences seem to flow when a gentleman consults his lawyer and takes all the law allows him. Anyhow, this piece of quixotry on your father's part, as it was unjust in itself, has brought forth a monstrous family of injustices. Your mother and father lived and died poor folk. You were poorly reared, and in the meanwhile, what a time it has been for the tenants on the estate of Shaw's. And I might add, if it was a matter I cared much about, what a time for Mr. Ebenezer. And yet, that's certainly the strangest part of all, said I, that a man's nature should thus change. True, said Mr. Rankeller, and yet I imagine it was natural enough. He could not think that he had played a handsome part. Those who knew the story gave him the cold shoulder. Those who knew it not, seeing one brother disappear, and the other succeed in the estate, raised a cry of murder, so that upon all sides he found himself evited. Money was all he got by his bargain. Well, he came to think the more of money. He was selfish when he was young. He is selfish now that he's old, and the latter end of all these pretty manners and fine feelings you have seen for yourself. Well, sir, said I, and in all this, what's my position? The estate is yours, beyond a doubt, replied the lawyer. It matters nothing what your father signed. You are the heir of entail. But your uncle is a man to fight the indefensible, and it would be likely your identity that he would call in question. A lawsuit is always expensive, and a family lawsuit always scandalous, besides which, if any of your doings with your friend Mr. Thompson were to come out, we might find that we had burned our fingers. The kidnapping, to be sure, would be a court card upon our side, if we could only prove it. But it may be difficult to prove, and my advice upon the whole is to make a very easy bargain with your uncle, perhaps even leaving him at Shaw's where he has taken root for a quarter of a century, and contenting yourself in the meanwhile with a fair provision. I told him I was very willing to be easy, and that to carry family concerns before the public was a step from which I was naturally much averse. In the meantime, thinking to myself, I began to see the outlines of that scheme on which we afterwards acted. The great affair, I asked, is to bring home to him the kidnapping. Surely, said Mr. Rankeller, and if possible, out of court. For mark you here, Mr. David, we could no doubt find some men of the covenant who would swear to your reclusion, but once they were in the box, we could no longer check their testimony, and some word of your friend Mr. Thompson must certainly crop out, which, from what you have let fall, I cannot think to be desirable. Well, sir, said I, here is my way of it, and I opened my plot to him. But this would seem to involve my meeting the man Thompson, says he, when I had done. I think so indeed, sir, said I. Dear doctor, no, Mr. David, I'm afraid your scheme is inadmissible. I say nothing against your friend, Mr. Thompson. I know nothing against him, and if I did, mark this, Mr. David. It would be my duty to lay hands on him. Now I put it to you. Is it wise to meet? He may have matters to his charge. He may not have told you all. His name may not even be Thompson, cries the lawyer, twinkling, for some of these fellows will pick up names by the roadside, as another would gather haws. You must be the judge, sir, said I. But it was clear my plan had taken hold upon his fancy, 
for he kept musing to himself till we were called to dinner in the company of Mrs. Rankeller, and that lady had scarce left us again to ourselves and a bottle of wine, ere he was back harping on my proposal. When and where was I to meet my friend, Mr. Thompson? Was I sure of Mr. T.'s discretion? Supposing we could catch the old fox tripping, would I consent to such and such a term of an agreement? These and the like questions he kept asking at long intervals, while he thoughtfully rolled his wine upon his tongue. When I had answered all of them, seemingly to his contentment, he fell into a still deeper muse, even the claret being now forgotten. Then he got a sheet of paper and a pencil, and set to work writing and weighing every word, and at last touched a bell, and had his clerk into the chamber. "'Torrance,' said he, "'I must have this written out fair against to-night, and when it is done, you will be so kind as to put on your hat and be ready to come along with this gentleman and me, for you will probably be wanted as a witness.' "'What, sir?' cried I, as soon as the clerk was gone. "'Are you to venture it?' "'Why, so it would appear,' says he, filling his glass. "'But let us speak no more of business. "'The very sight of Torrance brings in my head "'a little droll matter of some years ago, "'when I had made a tryst with the poor oaf "'at the cross of Edinburgh. "'Each had gone his proper errand, "'and when it came four o'clock, "'Torrance had been taking a glass "'and did not know his master, "'and I, who had forgot my spectacles, "'was so blind without them, "'that I gave you my word "'I did not know my own clerk.' "'And thereupon he laughed heartily. "'I said it was an odd chance,' "'and smiled out of politeness, "'but what held me all the afternoon in wonder, "'he kept returning and dwelling on this story, "'and telling it again with fresh details and laughter, "'so that I began at last to be quite put out of the countenance "'and feel ashamed for my friend's folly. "'Towards the time I had appointed with Alan, "'we set out from the house, "'Mr. Rankeller and I arm in arm, "'and in torrents following behind "'with the deed in his pocket "'and a covered basket in his hand. "'All through the town,' The lawyer was bowing right and left, and continually being buttonholed by gentlemen on matters of burg or private business, and I could see he was one greatly looked up to in the county. At last we were clear of the houses, and began to go along the side of the haven and towards the Hawes Inn and the Ferry Pier, the scene of my misfortune. I could not look upon the place without emotion, recalling how many that had been there with me that day were now no more. Ransom taken, I could hope, from the evil to come. Schwann passed where I dared not follow him, and the poor souls that had gone down with the brig in the last plunge. All these, and the brig herself, I had outlived, and come through these hardships and fearful perils unscathed. My only thought should have been of gratitude, and yet I could not behold the place without sorrow for others, and a chill of recollected fear. I was so thinking when, upon a sudden, Mr. Rankeller cried out, clapped his hands to his pockets, and began to laugh. Why, he cries, if this not be a farcical adventure, after all that I said, I forgot my glasses. And then, of course, I understood the purpose of his anecdote, and knew that if he had left his spectacles at home, it was done on purpose, so that he might have the benefit of Alan's help without the awkwardness of recognizing him. And indeed it was well thought upon, for now, suppose things to go the very worst, how could Rankeller swear to my friend's identity, or how be made to bear damaging evidence against myself? For all that, he had been a long while of finding out his want, and had spoken to and recognized a good few persons as we came to the town, 
and I had little doubt myself that he saw reasonably well. As soon as we were past the haws, where I recognized the landlord smoking his pipe in the door, and was amazed to see him look no older, Mr. Rankeller changed the order of march, walking behind with Torrance and sending me forward in the manner of a scout. I went up the hill, whistling from time to time my Gaelic air, and at length I had the pleasure to hear it answered and to see Alan rise from behind a bush. He was somewhat dashed in spirits, having passed a long day alone skulking in the county, and made but a poor meal in an alehouse near Dundas. But at the mere sight of my clothes he began to brighten up, and as soon as I had told him in what a forward state our matters were, and the part I looked to him to play in what remained, he became a new man. "'And that is a very good notion of yours,' says he, "'and I dare to say that you could lay your hands upon no better man to put it through than Alan Breck. "'It is not a thing, mark ye, that anyone could do, but takes a gentleman of penetration. "'But it sticks in my head your lawyer-man will be somewhat wearying to see me,' says Alan. "'Accordingly I cried and waved on Mr. Rankeller, who came up alone and was presented to my friend, Mr. Thompson.' "'Mr. Thompson, I am pleased to meet you,' said he. "'But I've forgotten my glasses, and our friend, Mr. David here, clapping me on the shoulder, will tell you that I am little better than blind, and that you must not be surprised if I pass you by to-morrow.' This he said, thinking that Alan would be pleased, but the Highlandman's vanity was ready to startle at a less matter than that. "'Why, sir,' says he, stiffly, "'I would say it mattered the less, as we are met here for a particular end.' "'to see justice done to Mr. Balfour, "'and by what I can see, "'not very likely to have much else in common. "'But I accept your apology, "'which was a very proper one to make. "'And that is more than I could look for, Mr. Thompson,' "'said Rankeller heartily. "'And now as you and I are the chief actors in this enterprise, "'I think we should come into a nice agreement, "'to which end I propose that you should lend me your arm, "'for, what with the dusk and the want of my glasses, "'I am not very clear as to the path.' "'And as for you, Mr. David, "'you will find Torrance a pleasant kind of body to speak with. "'Only let me remind you, "'it's quite needless he should hear more of your adventures "'or those of <clears throat> Mr. Thompson.' "'Accordingly, these two went ahead in very close talk, "'and Torrance and I brought up the rear. "'Night was quite come when we came in view of the House of Shaw's. Ten had been gone some time. "'It was dark and mild, with a pleasant, rustling wind in the southwest that covered the sound of our approach, and as we drew near we saw no glimmer of light in any portion of the building. It seemed my uncle was already in bed, which was indeed the best thing for our arrangements. We made our last whispered consultations some fifty yards away, and then the lawyer and Torrance and I crept quietly up and crouched down beside the corner of the house, and as soon as we were in our places, Alan strode to the door without concealment and began to knock. We'll resume with chapter 29, right after these sponsor messages. And now chapter 29 of Kidnapped. I come into my kingdom. For some time Alan volleyed upon the door, and his knocking only roused the echoes of the house and neighborhood. At last, however, I could hear the noise of a window gently thrust up, and knew that my uncle had come to his observatory. By what light there was he would see Alan standing like a dark shadow on the steps, the three witnesses were hidden quite out of his view, so that there was nothing to alarm an honest man in his own house. For all that, he studied his visitor a while in silence, and when he spoke, 
"'His voice had a quaver of misgiving. "'What's this?' says he. "'This is no kind of time of night for decent folk, "'and I have no dealings with night-hawks. "'What brings you here? "'I have a blunderbush. "'Is that your cell, Mr. Balfour?' "'returned Alan, stepping back "'and looking up into the darkness. "'Have a care of that blunderbuss. "'They're nasty things to burst. "'What brings you here, and who are you?' "'says my uncle, angrily. "'I have no manner of inclination "'to rout out my name to the countryside,' "'said Alan. "'Though what brings me here is another story, "'being more of your affair than mine. "'And if you're sure it's what you would like, "'I'll set it to a tune and sing it to you.' "'Eh? And what is it?' "'asked my uncle. "'David,' says Alan. "'What was that?' "'cried my uncle, in a mighty changed voice. "'Shall I give you the rest of the name, then?' "'said Alan. "'There was a pause, and then, "'I'm thinking I'd better let you in,' "'says my uncle, doubtfully. "'I dare say that,' said Alan. "'But the point is, would I go? "'Now I will tell you what I'm thinking. "'I'm thinking that it is here upon this doorstep.' "'that we must confer upon this business, "'and it shall be here or nowhere at all, "'for I would have you to understand "'that I am as stiff-necked as yourself "'and a gentleman of better family.' "'This change of note disconcerted Ebenezer. "'He was a little while digesting it, "'and then says he, "'Where wheel? "'What must be must?' "'and shut the window. "'But it took him a long time to get downstairs, "'and a still longer to undo the fastenings, "'repenting, I dare say.' "'and taking with fresh claps of fear "'at every second step and every bolt and bar. "'At last, however, we heard the creak of the hinges, "'and it seems my uncle slipped gingerly out, "'and seeing that Alan had stepped back a pace or two, sat him down on the top doorstep "'with the blunderbuss ready in his hands. "'And now,' says he, "'mind I have my blunderbuss, "'and if you take a step nearer, you're as good as dead.' "'And a very civil speech,' says Alan, "'to be sure.' "'Nah,' says my uncle. "'But this is no very chanty kind of a proceeding, "'and I'm bound to be prepared. "'And now that we understand each other, "'you can name your business.' "'Why,' says Alan, "'you that are a man of so much understanding "'will doubtless have perceived that I am a Highland gentleman. "'My name has no business in my story, "'but the county of my friends "'is not very far from the Isle of Mull, "'of which ye will have heard. "'It seems there was a ship lost in those parts.' "'and the next day a gentleman of my family "'was seeking wreckwood for his fire along the sands, "'when he came upon a lad that was half-drowned. "'Well, he brought him too, "'and he and some other gentlemen "'took and clapped him in an old ruined castle, "'where from that day to this "'he's been a great expense to my friends. "'My friends were a wee wild-like "'and not so particular about the law "'as some that I could name, "'and finding that the lad owned some decent folk, "'as was your born nephew, Mr. Balfour,' "'They asked me to give ye a bit call and confer upon the matter. "'And I may tell ye at the off-go, "'unless we can agree upon some terms, "'ye are little likely to set eyes upon him. "'For my friends,' added Alan, "'simply are not very well off.' "'My uncle cleared his throat. "'I'm not very caring,' says he. "'He was not a good lad, the best of it, "'and I have no call to interfere.' "'Aye, aye,' said Alan. "'I see what you would be at, "'pretending ye don't care.' "'to make the ransom smaller.' "'Nay,' said my uncle, "'it's the mere truth. "'I take no manner of interest in the lad, "'and I'll pay no ransom, "'and you can make a kirk and a mill of him "'for what I care.' "'Hoot, sir,' says Alan, 
"'Blood's thicker than water. "'In the devil's name. "'You cannot desert your brother's son "'for the fair shame of it. "'And if you did, and it came to be known, "'you would not be very popular in your countryside. "'Or I'm the more deceived.' "'I'm not just very popular the way it is,' "'returned Ebenezer. "'And I did not see how it would come to be Kent. "'Not by me, anyway. "'Nor yet by you or your friends. "'So that's idle talk, my buckle,' says he. "'Then it'll have to be David that tells it,' said Alan. "'How's that?' says my uncle, sharply. "'Oh, just this way,' says Alan. "'My friends would doubtless keep your nephew "'as long as there was any likelihood of siller to be made of it. "'But if there was none, I am clearly of opinion "'they would let him gang where he pleased, and be damned to him.' "'Aye, and I'm not very caring about that either,' says my uncle. "'I would not be muckle made up with that.' "'I was thinking that,' said Alan. "'And what for why?' asked Ebenezer. "'Why, Mr. Balfour,' replied Alan. "'By all that I could hear, there were two ways of it. "'Either ye liked David and would pay to get him back, "'or else ye had very good reasons for not wanting him "'and would pay for us to keep him. "'It seems it's not the first. "'Well, then, it's the second. "'And blithe am I to ken it, "'for it should be a pretty penny in my pocket "'and the pockets of my friends.' "'I did not follow you there,' said my uncle. "'No?' said Alan. "'Well, see here. "'You didn't want the lad back. "'Well, what do you want done with him? "'And how much will you pay?' "'My uncle made no answer, "'but shifted uneasily on his seat. "'Come, sir,' cried Alan. "'I would have you to ken that I am a gentleman. "'I bear a king's name, "'and I'm no rider to kick my shanks at your hall door. "'Either give me an answer in civility,' "'and that out of hand, or by the top of Glencoe, "'I will ran three feet of iron through your vitals.' "'Amen!' cried my uncle, scrambling to his feet. "'Give me a minute. "'What's like wrong with ye? "'I'm just a plain man, and nay dancing master, "'and I'm trying to be as civil as morally possible. "'As for that vital talk, it's fair disreputable.' "'Vitals?' says you. "'And where would I be with my blunderbuss?' he snarled. "'Powder and your old hands are but as the snail to the swallow "'against the bright steel in the hands of Alan,' said the other. "'Before your jottering finger could find the trigger, "'the hilt would dirl on your breastbone.' "'Eh, hey, man, why is denying it?' said my uncle. "'Pit it as you please. Hain't your ain way. "'I'll do nothing across ye. "'Just tell me what you like be wantin', "'and you'll see that we can agree fine.' "'Troth, sir,' said Alan, "'I ask for nothing but plain dealing.' "'In two words, do you want the lad killed or kept?' "'Oh, sirs!' cried Ebenezer. "'Oh, sirs, me! It's no kind of language.' "'Killed or kept!' repeated Alan. "'Ah, keep it, keep it!' wailed my uncle. "'We'll have nay bloodshed, if you please.' "'Well,' said Alan, "'as you please. That'll be the dearer.' "'The dearer!' cries Ebenezer. "'Would you file your hands with crime?' "'Hoot!' said Alan. "'They're both crime, whatever, "'and the killin's easier, and quicker and surer. "'Keepin' the lad'll be a troublesome job, "'a troublesome, kittle business.' "'I'll have him keep it, though,' returned my uncle. "'I never had nothing to do with anything morally wrong, "'and I'm not going to begin to pleasure a wild Highlandman.' "'Oh, your uncle's scrupulous,' sneered Alan. "'I'm a man of principle,' 
said Ebenezer, simply. And if I have to pay for it, I'll have to pay for it. And besides, says he, you forget the lad's my brother's son. Well, well, said Alan. And now, about the price. It's no very easy for me to set a name upon it. I would first have to ken some small matters. I would have to ken, for instance, what ye gave ho-season at the first off-go. Ho-season? cries my uncle, struck aback. What for? For kidnapping David, says Alan. It's a lie, a black lie, cried my uncle. He was never kidnapped. He lied in his throat that told you that. Kidnapped? He never was. That's no fault of mine, nor yet of yours, said Alan, nor yet of ho-season's, if he's a man that can be trusted. What do you mean? cried Ebenezer. Did ho-season tell you? Why, you donnered old runt, how else would I know? cried Alan. Ho-season and me are partners. We gang shares. So you can see for yourself what good you can do lying. And I must plainly say you drove a fool's bargain when you let a man like that sailor man so far forward in your private matters. "'but that's past praying for, "'and you must lie on your bed the way you made it. "'And the point in hand is just this. "'What did you pay him?' "'Has he told you himself?' asked my uncle. "'That's my concern,' said Alan. "'Real?' said my uncle. "'I didn't care what he said. "'He lied. "'And the solemn God's truth is this. "'I gave him twenty pounds. "'But I'll be perfectly honest with you, "'for by that he was to have the selling of the lad in Caroliny.' "'whilst you'd be a muckle mare, "'but not from my pocket, you see.' "'Thank you, Mr. Thompson. "'That will do excellently well,' "'said the lawyer, stepping forward, "'and then mighty civilly. "'Good evening, Mr. Balfour,' said he. "'And good evening, Uncle Ebenezer,' said I. "'And it's a broad night, Mr. Balfour,' added Torrance. "'Never a word,' said my uncle, "'neither black nor white, "'but just sat where he was on the top doorstep,' "'and stared upon us like a man turned to stone. "'Alan filched away his blunderbuss, "'and the lawyer, taking him by the arm, "'plucked him up from the doorstep, "'led him into the kitchen, whither we all followed, "'and set him down in a chair beside the hearth, "'where the fire was out and only a rush light burning. "'There we all looked upon him for a while, "'exulting greatly in our success, "'but yet with a sort of pity for the man's shame. "'Come, come, Mr. Ebenezer,' said the lawyer, "'You must not be downhearted, for I promise you we shall make easy terms. "'In the meanwhile, give us the cellar key, "'and Torrance shall draw us a bottle of your father's wine in honor of the event.' "'Then, turning to me and taking me by the hand, "'Mr. David,' says he, "'I wish you all joy in your good fortune, which I believe to be deserved.' "'And then to Alan with a spice of drollery. "'Mr. Thompson, I pay you my compliment, and it was most artfully conducted.' "'but in one point you somewhat outran my comprehension. "'Do I understand your name to be James, or Charles, "'or is it George, perhaps?' "'And why should it be any of the three, sir?' "'quoth Alan, drawing himself up, "'like one who smelt an offence. "'Only, sir, that you mentioned a king's name,' "'replied Rankeller, "'and as there has never yet been a King Thompson, "'or his fame at least has never come my way, "'I judge you must refer to that you had in baptism.' "'That was just the stab that Alan would feel keenest, "'and I'm free to confess that he took it very ill. "'Not a word would he answer, "'but stepped off to the far end of the kitchen "'and sat down and sulked. "'And it was not till I stepped after him "'and gave him my hand "'and thanked him by title as the chief spring of my success "'that he began to smile a bit, 
and was at last prevailed upon to join our party. By that time we had the fire lighted and a bottle of wine uncorked. A good supper came out of the basket, to which Torrance and I and Alan set ourselves down, while the lawyer and my uncle passed into the next chamber to consult. They stayed there closeted about an hour, at the end of which period they had come to a good understanding, and my uncle and I set our hands to the agreement in a formal manner. By the terms of this, my uncle bound himself to satisfy Rankeller as to his intromissions, and to pay me two clear thirds of the yearly income of Shaw's. So the beggar in the ballad had come home, and when I lay down that night on the kitchen chest, I was a man of means, and had a name in the country. Allen and Torrance and Rankeller slept and snored on their hard beds, but for me would lay out under heaven and upon dirt and stones, so many days and nights, and often with an empty belly, and in fear of death, this good change in my case unmanned me more than any of the former evil ones, and I lay till dawn, looking at the fire on the roof, and planning my future. Join us next week for the conclusion of Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson. We do appreciate reviews. If you've enjoyed Kidnapped to this point, please do send us a review for 1001 Stories for the Road. We would appreciate that very much, and it helps new listeners find us. Until next Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.